Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever-pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In his 2005 commencement address at Kenyon College, This is Water, David Foster Wallace highlights the difficulty of giving attention and care to the most obvious, elemental, unmistakable aspects of our lives. He begins the address with a comical little parable about two fish. So there are these two fish who are swimming along in the ocean when a wise old fish swimming the other way shouts, Morning, boys, how's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks at the other and goes, what the heck is water? Wallace's speech, which I commend to you, is about the singular challenge raised by these two young fish. How do we as people gain the awareness, the attention, to see and notice the most obvious and elemental of things? the water in which we are immersed. For Wallace, it takes prayer and practice and attention to gain this miracle of sight, to be able to see what is right in front of you and to learn to say over and over again, this is water, this is water. Jesus's parable for us this morning is like an icy splash of water to his disciples' faces. And he's trying to shake them awake to recognize the water in which they are immersed, called the kingdom of God. On the surface, this is surely one of the strangest, most incomprehensible parables Jesus ever told. And to suggest, as some do, that this is a story about everyone being equally rewarded in heaven, for me, that's just not true. This is one of those parables that I think easily resists being being stenciled over our lives detail for detail, such that we see it as a defense of free enterprise or the integrity of private business or even an argument for equal pay. So what is the central message of this parable. To get a handle on things, we must remember in the first place that at that time, in the first century world, the usual wage of a hired laborer was one denarius for a day's work. So when the householder offered and then compensated the workers a denarius at the end of the day, he's giving them the wage that is normal, accepted, we might say, in accord with social justice. The workers have no reason to be surprised at all. When they started the day, this is what they were expecting to get paid. Therefore, it's clear that when the householder has a denarius paid out to each of the latecomers, there's no longer a question of a wage which they have earned. 
he had not promised the latecomers this denarius, for he merely said that he would give them what is right. And they certainly didn't expect to get paid so much, a day's, full day's wage for just a couple of hours of work. The householder expressly asked those grumbling about the latecomer's wage if he doesn't have a right to be generous. What he gives the latecomers, therefore, is not an expression of wages which they've earned, of the justice that applies between masters and servants. Rather, it's an expression of the householder's own generosity, that free generosity. And this, for me, is the central message of this story, that incalculable mercy, even, that grace that cannot be reckoned up in terms of wages and justice, that generosity and mercy which ultimately prevail between us and God. During a British conference on world religions in the 1950s, experts from around the world were sitting around a table debating what, if any, belief was unique to Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation? Well, other religions, they averred, had different versions of gods appearing in human form. The Greeks had this, for instance. Resurrection? Again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The Mesopotamia religions, for instance. The debate went on for some time until in wandered the British writer and apologist C.S. Lewis. What's all the rumpus about? he asked. And he heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis replied, oh, that's easy. It's grace. Grace is the water in which Christians swim. Grace isn't just the central message of this parable. I think it's the central message of Christianity. Grace says that all that is hangs on the free gift of the love of God. From distant galaxies to buzzing electrons, from angels to aerosols, it's all a given, resting on the infinite act, that generous act, of God. And grace, it seems to me, is the truth that humbles us even as it raises us up. It reminds me of a story one of my fellow seminarians used to tell about how he ended up pursuing ministry and attending seminary. He tells the story of the night he became a Christian, when he was 16 years old. It was also the night that he wrecked his father's Buick. He had been drinking, and so had everyone else in the car. My friend said he called his dad, and he told him. And the first thing his dad said to him was, 
son, are you okay? He says, as his dad came and picked him up and he went home and he was explaining the evening, that he wept and he wept in his father's study. At the end of the ordeal, after all the tears were cried, his father said one thing. How about tomorrow we go and get a new car? My friend said he knew he would go into ministry because of that evening. Grace became real for him. Grace pierced through his own broken and shattered heart. Anytime my friend shares this story in public, there's always the, their usual predicted response that comes back. Why didn't he punish you? Why didn't he ask you to see the consequences of your actions? No, no, he replies. Do you think I didn't know what I had done? It was the worst, most awful moment of my life up until that point. Having to ring him up was like the final judgment. And I guess he just knew that only a word of grace could bring back a rebel soul like mine. Grace, sings Saint Bono. Grace takes the blame. She covers the shame, removes the stain. Grace finds beauty in everything. But still the interpreter wants to know why everyone gets paid the same amount. Does God not care how we live our lives? Does God not care that some grow and extend his love? While others seem, I don't know, preoccupied with other things? We live, it won't come as a shock to hear me say, in a grace-starved world. We live in the world of winners and losers, givers and takers, those with and those without. And I suppose there's no small part of us that wonders if there's any grace for us in this world of merit. If you look at the newspaper, it seems like Grace's stock is only plummeting. But I wouldn't ask you to merely look at the newspaper. Consider the unspoken grace we've all been given, the denarius we've all been compensated. The denarius, I hope to suggest, that we've all received is our very own lives, our very own selves, just as we are, with our life, with our temperament, with our family, with our surroundings, surroundings with our time, with our heredity, with everything that we happen to be and cannot change. Our denarius is our very self. And really, when we grumble about our earnings, or we grumble about another whom God has dealt differently, we're really refusing to accept ourselves from the gracious hand of God. The difficult parable teaches a rather simple point. We are those who receive the denarius, and we ourselves are the denarius. For we receive ourselves with our destiny, with our freedom, certainly, and with whatever we choose to do with that freedom. But ultimately, what we, what we receive is ourself. This we must receive, and this is harder than it sounds. 
not just without grumbling, without inward protest, but with gratitude, because it's given to us by a God who asked us, do you begrudge my generosity? This is our great life's work, what it means to grow in our faith, to accept ourselves as the mysterious and gradually revealed gift of the immeasurable grace of God. Every part of us, even the parts that feel painful and mysterious, every part is a gift. And to accept a gift from God is to welcome God himself. In giving you yourself, God gives himself. The gift always bearing the giver's fingerprints. Plus, in the end, we're probably all latecomers to the work. All a little slow to recognize the immensity of God's free grace. And yet, we must draw our gaze away from ourselves and see the generosity of God unfolding all around us. This is the work of prayer and maturity. To gain the vision to see God, not as distant and begrudging, but as here and now. Less a one-time thing, and more so we discover the plain fact underwriting our lives, giving us our next breath. The grace that is the very water in which we swim.